Hey, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. My name is Andrew Frost, and I serve on staff here at RCC as our family minister. And I'm so excited to be able to continue our three-week series focused on the family. And it's called It's Just a Phase. Now, I'd like to take a moment to just briefly highlight just what is phases. What are phases? Well, this is all about the family journey. And there are certain milestones in your family journey, right, as they phase and grow up from birth to graduation. And so this series is all about parenting and empowering your parenting to your children. And so last week we talked about the beginning, right, where all families start anew with children in infancy. And uh, we're also going to be going into today looking at childhood. And so I'd love to be able to share with all of you who were just curious in the last week. Uh, yes, my wife and I are expecting, and we are expecting a girl. So a girl's on the way. So thanks. We're just so excited to be able to celebrate that. Uh, we did all of our Valentine's Day last night, went to Longhorn, got some good steaks. It was fun. So yeah, we're just really excited to be able to have uh, the family journey starting for us soon this summer. But for everyone here, for all of you, you could probably relate to childhood, right? I mean, we all grew up as kids at one time or another in our life. But if I were to ask you this question, how would you describe or define your childhood? How would you describe or define your childhood? Now, th this question is really, really a unique and cool question because it really reveals how we are developed into who we are today in so many ways. Now, for myself, I grew up as a 90s kid. And uh, as a 90s kid, yeah, any 90s? No, in the room. <laughs> some, some of us maybe. Th this was a great generation, I felt. A, a, a little off, you know, with the bowl cuts and the uh, boy bands and stuff. But, I mean, we, we had some good highlights too. Like new technology was entering into the fray. We had a lot of good family sitcoms. Um, like cell phones were just, I think, becoming at least a new tech Internet, same thing. Um, I had the Game Boy. Ooh, I love the Game Boy. You know, Lego, dinosaurs, uh, Nintendo, all those fun things. Um, I just loved my childhood, and I'm and I tend to have it in a fond category. Like I tend to be more um, in light of like looking at my childhood as good or bad, right? And as kids, you tend to do that too. We are motivated through fun in our childhood, and so we say, was it fun or was it not fun? Was it good or was it bad? It tends to be kind of black and white for many of us. Um, I remember my earliest memory growing up actually was my mom pushing me or strolling me through the St. Louis, Missouri Zoo. And my family and I grew up near the St. Louis Zoo, or at least in driving distance. And I would go there, I guess my mom would take me there. And that was one of my earliest, fondest memories. And even after school, you know, in elementary, I would go to my grandmother's a lot. And my grandma would often have me, you know, at her house. We would watch cartoons. And uh, she would feed me some form of pudding, um, rice or chocolate or something, depending on the day or my mood. Um, yeah, it was just a fond memory to be able to go to my grandma's and do that. And I do remember one uh, fond memory was uh, I was in the basement with the neighborhood kids, of course, because they're the most responsible batch you know, of kids, it's the neighborhood kids, so I hung out with them. And we were in my parents' unfinished basement at the time with the lights off, playing hide-and-go-seek in the dark with tags. We would run around in the dark with our eyes closed because it was awesome. It's terrible. I still have the scar here, so I ended up falling, cracked my head open, and uh, my, it was on my mom's birthday, so that was perfect, right? It just had to be. <laughs> it's how these things work in childhood. Uh, but these are memories um, that often at times like really shape who we are today in these experiences, right? And so from our first interests and discoveries and friendships 
parents who just engage with their kids at this phase are really entering in and influencing how your child develops and grows into, into their person. And so for some, this could be actually a different question to respond to, right? Um, maybe you had a childhood that really wasn't a great experience. Maybe, maybe for some of you, the worst of it, it could have been traumatic. It could have been an abusive upbringing, right? Or maybe for some, it wasn't that, but it was just tough. It was just a tougher childhood. You still had good memories, but it wasn't easy. Um, maybe you had to eventually take care of your siblings, or maybe you had a, a family that just felt broken, right? Or experienced that. Um, and so not everyone's future is the same, but you, you know that these experiences, good or bad, influence who you become as you look back on your life, right? And so just because you were treated one way or not, whether it was raised by your parents or lack thereof, just because you were treated this way doesn't mean you have to follow the same path. Uh, this actually kind of hit me the other day, where have you ever thought to yourself, wow, uh, that was my dad coming out of my mouth, <laughs> or I'm becoming like my mother, or I'm becoming like my father, right? I think any, all of us have had a moment like that. I mean, we kind of are their clones in some way or another. Um, but having that moment of recognition is just like, wow, do I really want to be exactly like my parents? Maybe in the good ways, but maybe not in the bad ways. And maybe you tend to think that way. But are we modeling after our parents or are we modeling ourselves after our heavenly father? And I think that's a question that we're going to be wrestling with throughout this message today. And so it's a cycle, right? And it's hard to break. Um, the way that you were raised often tends to be, at times, the way that you raise your children, because it's how you were disciplined. It's how you know how to respond to things, because this is how my dad taught me, and I'm going to teach you, <laughs> I don't know, or this is how my mom treated me, um, and it can be good, too, and this is just how you want to replicate it, um, but who is your parental role model? Is it your mother and father, or is it your heavenly father? So let me ask you this question, Lord, how do you want me to raise my children, right? This is a question to ask yourself. It's a question to even ask God in prayer. Please help me, God, raise them to see more of you, right? Not just more of you and yourself, but more of God through you. And as your child's able to see God through you and your parenting, you're able to actually not model after your parents, per se. You're able to model yourself after Christ. And that stems out into your parenting as well. So here's the truth. We're not perfect. Parents, you might be looking at, you're thinking of your parents, um, or even you as yourself as parents, like, yeah, you're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're, you're going to stumble. Things are going to happen in your life where um, things aren't going to go the way that you planned or expected. You're going to be hyper-emotional, or the way that this was handled or reacted did not go so well. Or maybe your spouses disagreed at how it went, and it just caused a lot of tension, right? Um, we're not perfect, but you're figuring this thing out as you go, kind of, right, through each of their phases. In some ways, it can be really hard as a parent because you feel like you're having to restart the learning process of each new phase. Like, wow, that's new. I didn't know they'd have to start doing that. Infancy was easy because as soon as they started moving, we just had to cage them. And then they learned how to unlock the cages, and it got even harder. <laughs> but eventually, they grow up into kids, right? And kids are always on the move. Um, I had someone tell me once in Illinois that parenting is a, a child in, in their kid years is like trying to lasso a tornado. <laughs> They're just constantly on the move. You can't catch a break, and they always leave a trail of destruction. They're just menace, <laughs> menaces. And so even Mary and Joseph, 
right? The father and mother of Jesus um, on earth, they made mistakes too. They're, they weren't perfect, but God gave them the responsibility and entrusted them to be parents to any kids, but not just any kid, to God's only son, the perfect child, right? I mean, think about the shock weight of responsibility there hitting their chest, but they weren't perfect. And so, but God still used them in their imperfection. And so we're actually going to be looking at, as our main text for this morning, a section and moment in scripture that highlights the only biblically recorded incident of Jesus's childhood. Okay, this is awesome, but it's quite a story. And it takes place in Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. So I encourage you, if you have your Bible, if you have a Bible app, um, a, a book with you with anyone online, we'll also be having it on the screens for you as well. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to, raise, uh, to, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child Jesus grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went up to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. It was tradition. They probably did the same holiday thing every year. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Okay. <laughs> Whoa, big deal here. How many of you, a confession moment, have left your child somewhere before? <laughs> Show of hands. Yes, you can confess. It's okay. Um, you're not alone, obviously. But this is a scary moment, right? I mean, maybe you're pointing fingers like, I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. Where, where, I mean, maybe you left your child in a vehicle, maybe with another relative who was supposed to have them, or maybe you lost them at Disney. I don't know what your story is, but you have maybe forgotten about your child once before. Um, but how could you even for, forget about Jesus? I mean, I too have been left behind once before. I was left behind at church um, from my parents, and I was starving to death because it was lunchtime, you know, as a kid. And at the time, there were no real cell phone access. I mean, I just had to wait till they got home, and I called the house phone from the church phone. I mean, it was just like chaos. I'm like, where's my mom and dad? I need my food. And uh, they eventually came back and got me, um, but what an ordeal. They just totally got home and were like, yeah, we don't have our firstborn. Nice. I, I, I thought I was the priority. Apparently not. It's when I had siblings. So that's where that all changed. But I do want to continue in this passage because this is where things get really funny and interesting. In verse 30, uh, 44, it, it continues, thinking the parents that Jesus was in their company, they traveled on for a day this must have been a big party, tailgate or something, I don't know, but they must have had a lot of people, a lot of family and friends, someone had for the responsibility. They then began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Uh-oh, <laughs> wait, I thought you had him. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Okay, Jerusalem, this is like the New York City of the time, right? This is a huge, historical, iconic city, huge um, everyone of all different types of cultures are there too. And you lose your son in one of the largest cities ever. And after three days at verse 46, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. <laughs> 
I would think so. After three days, you can't find him. You'd probably start losing hope. I mean, the whole time I'd be praying to God like, uh, he's your son. Hopefully you got him. We're going to keep looking. Um, but he's nowhere to be found. I'm freaking out here. But the last place they looked was his house, his father's house, right? So he was in the temple and they were astonished. So his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Aha, see, it's his fault. <laughs> your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Man, talk about irresponsible parenting here, but this is a big deal. Um, I always imagined or tried to imagine at a young age when I first heard this story, like, how did Jesus survive three days on his own in one of the largest cities on earth? Now, of course, he's got son. He's got God on his side. Um, maybe he was like Kevin, you know, from Home Alone 2, from like New York City, somehow made it in the end finally and just... I don't know, had an awesome room service excursion. I don't know how he survived, but he did, and he was fine. And we don't get the details in that story there, so I'm stretching it a bit. But I tend to think of like, wow, how would Jesus have made it through this? But he leaned on his father, God, not Father Joseph here in this moment. So he had the sense to go to church. He had the sense to go to the temple and seek protection there, to our knowledge. And look, I, I know he's got son, but he's, he's here being able to just... Seek independence for the first time. Maybe you have a child like that who has explored independence for the first time away from you. And that can be a scary moment. And you have those disciplinary conversations. You have the hugs because you're just so happy to see each other again. But this is a big moment. And in verse 49, you see right here his response to her question. You know, why have you separated from us? And he said, why were you searching for me? <laughs> okay. Don't you know that I had to be in my father's house. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. He's saying my father, meaning God, not Father Joseph here. But then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So these are the moments that you never forget as a family. Um, because moments like this turn into stories later that you laugh about, but you had those long conversations. You had those hugs. You had, you know, Jesus experienced both the neglect and the relentless love of his parents' pursuit. And his parents experienced a newfound fear and admiration for their son's well-being. And so there's lessons to be learned from experiences like this. You know, we don't always want them to happen, but when they do, what's to come out of it, Right. And so his parents experience these things, but trusting God and taking responsibility as parents is a dual thing that we all experience, and recognizing the value of your children is the gift that God gives us. And so in these moments, lean in on the memory of the value that you have on your children in those moments of potential fearing of loss. So in Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 through 5, it also reads, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb of reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This kind of love and appreciation for children coming from parents is huge. I'm a words of affirmation guy, and maybe you're like me, but when your parents affirmed their love for you, or, or, or their pride even, and that was just, it spoke so much to me. Even in the moments of um, discipline or when they were tough on me, I would never forget. And maybe it's because it's one of my love languages that the words that they 
said to me, whether they be tough or negative or whether they be very loving um, and admirable, I took it very strongly and it spoke serious love to me. And so the things that you say to your kids matter so much more to them than what you realize. And if you actually take a moment to realize what it meant for you with your own parents, you can see the, the weight of that given back to them um, and how much that impacts them now as well as into their future, right? This is a family journey. And fortunate or unfortunate, the things that happen in each phase don't really get a redo. that <laughs> They happen, but you're able to learn and move ahead with them as they get older. So when my parents expressed value to me, it just gave me a lot of affirmation that I belonged and that I'm safe and that I'm deeply loved. And so today, I know it's Valentine's Day, but really maybe offer not just a letter or even something in writing, but even just your words to your kids today on this special day of love. So God looks at each of us, right, as his children. And yes, he disciplines us and communicates where we've disobeyed, but he still loves you, right? And as children of God, he gives us room to grow and to learn from our mistakes as well. And setting up guardrails as a family as they get older, right? I mean, it tends to widen a little bit as they get older, right? Um, and we'll talk more about that next week in the teenage years. But being able to set these things up is to help the betterment of your children as they grow into their future, right? You know this. Um, but what does it mean in, through the lens of spiritual faith, right? What does it mean for their life to be able to follow God and not just follow you, in your disciplines, and your rules, as some of them say. But God also designed childhood to be motivated by fun, right? I mean, you might look back at that original question and think, wow, was my childhood good or bad? Well, was it fun? Was it fun or not? I mean, for, for kids, that is their great motivator. Whether it is like brushing your teeth, <laughs> is it going to be fun? Or taking medicine, is it going to be fun? Like, like what, what, what can I do here to help motivate you that this will be fun um, so that you'll do it? And that tends to be the tension that a lot of families live in. Um, but as parents, come alongside them and engage them with their sense of discovery. This is a season and a phase of where they're able to explore and discover God's creation in a whole new way. And you get to be pioneering that for them and, and help them discover those things for the first time. And you're the ones that they trust most to be able to explain it to them as well. And just don't forget to prioritize fun as a family. Set time aside individually for your kids as well as collectively. Sometimes, uh, you know, being the firstborn of two other siblings, you know, it was like nice to do things together, but maybe I wanted some mom time or maybe I wanted some dad time too. So here's what your kids crave. There are three things primarily through the phases and ages here. The first is kindergarten through first grade. Here is what they crave most is attention and approval, right? Do I have your attention? <laughs> Do I have your attention? And that can be hard and distracting uh, for some parents because you get back from whatever it is you do for work or in life, and you can be very drained and tired. I totally get this too. Um, and I know being an upcoming parent, this is something I'm going to have to wrestle with, and we all will, but like being distracted with our energy or being distracted by giving them that relentless pursuit and need for attention is very draining. Um, but that's what they crave in this season. And the more you're able to give it to them, it demonstrates the, your interest in their progress. It also gives them confidence that their abilities will be improving, and they will. Second is the second and third graders want to know how their abilities compare to their peers. 
right? This is where they're finally like, I see other kids, or I am starting to feel competitiveness in some sense, and, and I want to know if I'm able or if I'm capable, right? And this is a reinforcement from parents, and you help give them that persistence of their efforts, and their com, uh, competence is brought in. So they ask, do I have what it takes? And you help as parents answer that for them. Yes, encourage them, motivate them. Yeah, go kick that ball or get, get out there, son or daughter. You're able to go do it. You know, these are the things that they step into. And often or not, this is, tends to be the age where they enter into sports and teams, which leads into the next one, right? Third and fourth graders begin to prioritize friends in a new way. So whether it's the neighborhood friends, like I mentioned earlier, good or bad, or it's the teammates that they build or the classmates that they build, right? They ask, do I have friends? Um, and there are groups of kids that struggle with this question. And it actually becomes their priority. They need and want to have friends, and they don't want to be picked on. They definitely don't want to be isolated. They know you're, they have your love, but for the first time, they're like, I'm widening my circle. I want others to be involved in my life in some way uh, because I'm with them either at school or on the team, and I love that. So as parents, you get to help be the influence to your child's peers and to their friend circles. You get to help kind of set what are those networks of people that influence their future through friendships. And I see all of this in our kids' space, all of this, and I love it. Um, being able to help serve and, and teach kids um, on one or two Sundays a month, or sometimes more, it, it's, a, it's a joy to me. And I love being able to see how your kids express their faith um, to me and to all of us because it really helps strengthen and renew mine each and every day that I'm with them for it. Um, we have an incredible team up there that loves helping during the week, and they love helping and being with your kids on those Sunday mornings. And it's just incredible. It's short, though, right, compared to the time that you get to spend um, during the week and that teachers have them. Like my, my wife, though, she's a teacher. She does seventh grade math. And she'll come home with stories of, of kids from the day. Sometimes I'll ask and she'll share. And I like hearing them um, when I have the energy to hear them sometimes, which is terrible of me. But I like hearing the stories because it, it's reinforcing just what your kids love to experience and express day in and day out. Um, I think recently um, you shared with me that there was a, a classmate that came up and said, are you pregnant? I hadn't told the students, but told the staff. And she's like, yes. And she's like, I knew it. I knew it. And it was just fun. Um, but coming home to, to, to you, they expressed to you, you asked them, how is your day? How's everything going? Um, and maybe they'll share about their schoolwork, but they'll share about their friends. They'll share about those things that are driving them, motivating them. How's your progress with, you know, learning this or doing that? And they love giving that back to you, and hopefully you love hearing it back from them as well, giving that words of affirmation, right? So in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, it reads, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, Jesus. And the disciples rebuked him. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. I think about what childlike faith means in this text, right? And what an incredible standard of faith that Christ gives us to model after. And it's not belittled or elementary or lacking of higher understanding, but it's faith, it's trust. 
it's waking up each day and looking forward to spending time with God the Father. It's simply being excited about the miracles that he may perform through and in and out of other people's lives each and every day. It's the willingness and acceptance to want to receive him in his kingdom each day. This is like just basic, plain, not confused, not confuddled, just I want to receive Jesus and understand and I'm curious and I want to learn more about him, plain and simple faith. And it's that kind of faith that Jesus is saying, do not hinder. Do not hinder children, us too, from receiving the gospel. Instead, be inviting. And so we're a church that's all about inviting people to journey with Jesus. And through our family ministry, we want to help empower you as parents to use and grow and influence your kids into their future so that they too can invite others to experience his love. And it's huge. This is all about putting you as parents in the driver's seat of your child's faith journey. That's what it's all about. And so the big idea of our message today is how your child sees God can change the world. Not just the world around them, not just our area or network or even just our community. It could be even the whole world. And so this starts at home with how you model Christ in your parenting. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7 communicates this very, very plainly. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Basically saying all the time, live it out, right? Love the Lord your God with everything in you, and so that you can be able to model and teach this to your children each and every day. And so every kid has the potential to learn more about God than adults may even imagine, really. And they are made in His image, but when you learn to see God's image in kids, it reinforces and increases their potential for kids to see God. And so they'll grow up wanting to know more about the God who made them and created them because of it. Your job as a parent, or even I as a leader, is not to redefine God at every phase, but to help kids rediscover and relate to God in a new way at each phase. So spiritual growth is identified when you see your kids mature in their ability and to relate to God on a personal level at their present phase. So don't just watch from the sidelines. Help also be a coach. You know, be a cheerleader too, but be someone that's going to help lead them too and show them and demonstrate that relationship to them. And so this is all about the faith journey for you as a family that you're able to step into and that your child can make this impact for the kingdom, right? But it starts with you at home. And so the new relationships your family's produced at this phase, we're just going to widen the circle of influence for what God's kingdom impact will bring to them. So help your children experience God by leading your family to live as an outward expression of his love. There was a moment that happened to me in my life that this happened, and it changed my life. Um, there was a friend of mine, his name's Adam. If you're watching Adam, this is for you, me saying thanks. But essentially, I was invited to a Christian summer camp, which to me at the time in upper elementary seemed really uh, like church and camp. Like church was not fun. I didn't know anything about camp. I'd never been to camp before. I've just... You know, I've seen images and like we're going to stay in a tent and all that jazz. I don't know. Maybe it'd be a cool new experience, but the whole church angle of it did not seem attractive to me whatsoever. 
And so I was a little skeptical at first, but he was like, no, no, it's going to be a lot of fun. You won't be with your parents for the week. Okay. Um, you're going to be able to do all these fun things. And this was before like YouTube and trailers and stuff like that. I mean, or maybe it was brand new, but he kind of gave me an idea of what it was going to be like. I was like, all right, sure. I'll go give it a shot. My parents paid for me to go. And I was going with my friend, Adam, you know, and I get there and I had the most incredible time and I had the most incredible experience. And I actually encountered the living God relationally for the first time in my life. And it shaped me and it changed me and it shook me to the core. I remember going home and I asked mom and dad if I could go spend more time with Adam and actually ask questions or or even like follow him to church. And they're like, who are you and what have you done with my son? You want to go to church now? You want to actually like go and church is fun now? It's never been fun. And I said, well, I know that's a big motivator, but I... I think I get it. I think I'm starting to get this. And so I would go and I would constantly try to bring my parents along too, because I didn't want to just abandon them. I wasn't really abandoning them, but I just wanted them to be part of this journey that I experienced. And so sure enough, it wasn't that long after my parents came. um, And it wasn't that long after that where me, my dad, and my sister all got baptized together. And it was just an incredible moment in my life where thanks to a friend who, because of his parents, because of his family, the investment given to him, and it raised him in such a way where his influence stemmed to me, to where now I look back and I'm like, goodness sakes, I'm now living in a part of the country I never imagined living before, where God has called me, and I'm up here being able to share the gospel with you. I would not be here if it wasn't for that invitation. And that's why we always go with our mission and go back to that and say, we are always wanting to invite people to journey with Jesus. And it all makes sense. It clicks now for for me um, being older, and I see the impact that the family has. Um, And it's had an impact on my family, and they've had an impact on other families. And constantly, we're adding new people to our circles. And it's just been an incredible moment to see and witness that through the family, God has the greatest impact of sharing the gospel. And I truly believe that the family is the most effective means for exponentially sharing God's love to a broken world. Maybe you have kids that are just better evangelists than you. <laughs> you might be like, okay, that's a stranger. We, we talked about this, but I'm proud of you. And I'm glad that you're able to help me in my own faith journey because of my kids, right? Or because of your kids being able to live out sharing the good news through childlike faith. So here's my challenge um, to everyone here. Engage your child's interest so God is experienced at their level and trust in him is established. This is the phase of stories of real impactful memories and a lot of fun. Engage with your child's interests. Engage with them in their faith questions and their discoveries along the way. Will you consider taking a next step to be baptized? We have baptisms lined up, but we want to help get your family into the baptistry. We want to help provide a next step for for you on your faith journey. And you can be part of it. We have, I think, half a dozen families, parents baptizing their kids just at the tail end of last year. And we want to continue to provide those next steps for you. So please come talk to us if you have any questions. Um, We also invite you and your child to 
join us again for, for kids worship. Um, and we're always looking for more team members so that we can grow and be able to lead kids even more effectively. And we are definitely wanting more volunteers. So you can go ahead and you can sign up with us. You can text the word with to our church number and you will be able to jump right in and serve with us and lead other kids on their next steps of Jesus. You can download the Parent Q app. This is a great resource to help you and your parenting to be able to have cues in their phases as they grow to learn how you can help parent them. Now, also, Facebooks are great. You can order a Facebook on justaphase.com, and those Facebooks are going to help provide for you the parenting tools and resources to raise your kids where they are. So if you're struggling right now with a third grader, or if you're struggling right now with even a teenager, these Facebooks are really going to help you out as well. And you can find those again at justaphase.com. So I can't wait to just see what God has in store for the potential of your family and the influence that he'll have on each of you as your kids move through childhood into their adult years. I pray, and I'm going to pray right now for each of your families that God will use you in this way. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you so, so much for blessing us with the family. Um, I know for many of us or some of us, we've had so many different experiences over the years with our family members, but God, I pray that we look to you as the model whether or not we had a, a good modeler or not b b before in our life, but God, I just pray that we look to you for us as we model Christ to them, to our children. God, I pray um, for encouragement and motivation for us to be able to step in and lean in and come alongside and engage our kids as they're discovering you and more of our world and your creation. God, I just want to lift up all the families and parents who are stepping into this journey, and we're just so excited to see what you'll do through it to expand and grow your kingdom. And we pray for all of this, and it's your name we pray. Amen.